This is Sober in the City. Real life, real addiction, real recovery. For Sober in the City all week, subscribe to our podcast by visiting SoberInTheCity.com or search Sober in the City in the iTunes store. Stick this in a shot glass and shoot it. It's Dangerous Debbie Strand. Sober in the City is brought to you in part by Believe Treatment Center. At Believe Treatment Center, we understand. Call now. 1-855-874-2354 or visit BelieveTreatmentCenter.com to find out how we can help and how your insurance can pay for it. We're back with more Sober in the City and I'm Debbie Strand. If you think you or someone you care about might have a problem with drugs, pot, alcohol, food issues, sex, gambling, porn, smoking, hair pulling. Yeah, I know. It all sounds like a buzzkill, but really sober is better. I swear. Give us a call 800-SOBER-05, 800-SOBER-05. We'd love to hear from you and your opinion of what our topics are, what we're talking about, and tell me if you're staying sober. If you are, tell me how you're staying sober. If you're not staying sober, tell me who pissed you off. Why'd you go back out? What's the resentment? Let's put them out here on Sober in the City. Call us at 800-SOBER-05, 800-SOBER-05, and visit us on the website, soberinthecity.com, and listen live on the Sober in the City app, both for Apple and Droid devices, and share them with your friends. Give them to that sponsee that's driving you nuts. So call us about the cost of addiction and what that means to you. 800-SOBER-05, 800-SOBER-05. So there are other costs from addictions too. What about people in the workforce not doing their jobs? What about theft due to addiction? And what about the unemployment and healthcare costs going through the roof? If you think you're only hurting yourself, you're dead wrong. It's the butterfly effect and what you do changes the world. It's just simply a case of, are you going to change it for the positive? Are you going to change it for the negative? Do you ever wonder what you could have been? What potential have you failed to reach because of your addiction? What else have you lost because of addiction? Let's go to Bob in Indiana. Bob, welcome to Sober in the City. How are you? I'm doing well. How are you? I'm great. Talk to us about the uh, cost of addiction. You know, I was thinking about it an awful lot, and I was fortunate enough uh, when I first got sober that a, that a counselor approached me and said, I, I want you to write down the cost of your addictions over the, you know, however long it's been. It's been 26 years. And I, I joked with him. I said, you know, I, I, I don't think in those kind of numbers. <laughs> he said, yeah, I know you don't. So he gave me a calculator and uh, I sat down with some paper and figured it out over 26 years I uh, lost uh, monetarily about $1.3 million. And uh, that came through just missed uh, missed opportunities, uh, not showing up, uh, showing up and not being asked back. Uh, for various business things I was doing in those days. Um, and looking at that number was, was pretty shocking um, and because I, I knew that, that was, uh, those were things that funds that were not coming back and, and would never be offered me again. But uh, the cost really, as I measured it, uh, as you mentioned earlier, was, was mostly in relationships. And uh, these are relationships, including an ex-wife who, you know, just uh, 
basically just loved me and cared about me, and I needed to get rid of her in order to keep using and drinking. Uh, just the, the times I could not show up or did not show up. Uh, I, I was in business with some very good friends of mine who uh, became very estranged because I couldn't keep up my end of the business. And in all of that, um, again, got back to the real cost uh, of, of my addictions to me and, and to others, which was uh, a definite separation from any other higher power uh, other than me. And uh, the only way I, I can even begin to summarize it, because it's one of the most horrible feelings, I think, a human can have. I, I, and, and I, you know, I mean, I was even aware of it at the time. I mean, I knew how I felt and I knew how separated I was. Um, it's sort of like walking in the desert and you have no means to get out You're by yourself. And um, it's at some point, you know, in this journey, you realize that the, the desert's never ending. It's not like you're lost. It's that it's never ending. And we put all that together with, you know, being lost and separation and grief from lost opportunities and relationships. And that led me right back to the next time I was going to drink or use. It was very, very simple. It was a, it was a two-step process. And, you know, have a certain number of feelings uh, that I didn't know anything about, that I didn't know what to do uh, about those. And that led me right back the next time I was going to use a drink. And uh, really to the point of dying. I, I can't tell you how many times I overdosed. Um, it was it's too many to count. Uh, and, and that just seemed like a natural place to be. And uh, it was a horrible cost uh, to me and the people around me. And uh, thank goodness I have the ability over time to amend some of these relationships and to take care of what I was responsible for with them. Uh, because in doing so, I can move closer to a power other than me and a power other than, than uh, anything I ever imagined. So I've been very, very fortunate in this recovery to, to maintain uh, uh, some very significant relationships where uh, that almost was never the case before. It was like living Groundhog's Day. Fortunate. It's like living living yes. that movie Groundhog's Day over and over. We yeah, had to keep doing the same right. things. And, and I know it took me a lot of years to finally figure out, oh, God, I don't want to do this anymore. Right. right. And it took almost dying to do that. I, I really, uh, you know, people, including me, uh, underestimate the power of this disease in your soul and uh, certainly emotionally and psychologically. And uh, I had no idea. I, I just had no idea uh, the strength of that pattern and, and the strength of uh, that addiction had in my life. And once I got an idea of it, I got a, certainly a healthy fear <laughs> of it, but also um, there is an unlimited amount of power in my life now to deal with that. And, and I don't need to ever go near that desert again, although I might want to take a little jogs around the block perhaps, but uh, I don't need to stay there. I don't need to, you know, to reinforce any of that. I don't want to forget it, but I, I don't want to live it either. It's, it's just not, it's the only, you know, the natural sort of uh, result of feeling and, and doing those things is death. The only reason that I'm going to go there is I'm going to go with sober friends to pull somebody else out. 
that's right, too, way right. too scary of a place for me. Don't go without friends and flashlights, you exactly. know. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> never go with a, yeah, never go into that territory unescorted. Uh-uh. That's, nope. That's for sure. Nope. Let's go to Paul uh-huh. in Ohio. Paul, what are the costs of addiction to you? What does it cost you? Uh, do you think about what you potentially could have been and what you have lost by participating in addictions? Yeah, I, I don't really think about uh, what I could have been because uh, today I'm happy with who I am. Um, one of the biggest things, uh, being a human being and, and being an addict and alcoholic, uh, we really think materialistically. And it, it's hard for us to come in contact with our emotional side. Uh, the biggest thing, looking back at it, that I lost was faith. And I can't say it's just faith in uh, religious beliefs or spiritual beliefs, but I lost faith in myself. Um, all those empty promises that I made, you know, I'm going to go see my son's football game or go to his football practice. And the good intentions that I had was to stop at the bar and have beer and then go to those things and end up uh, never leaving and leaving when the bar closed at 2.30 and not making it home and never doing that. Um, so I began to lose faith with myself, but you know, the, the materialistic things that went along with that, that I lost just became part of the norm for me. Um, I think it's important that anybody that comes in that's, uh, that's new that we let them know, you know, uh, for all those things that I did, I looked at myself in the mirror as a bad person. Um, I did all kinds of things out there to attain, uh, my drug of choice at that time, which was crack cocaine. And people do things that they normally wouldn't do to gain possession of the drugs that they use. doesn't make me a bad person. just makes me an ass. And I got to focus back on me being who I am. I can treat my addiction, which allows me the freedom to become who I really am. And, and who I am today, I wouldn't change that. You know, so... Where would I be today? I hope I'd be right where I'm at. Oh, that's terrific. I don't know. Maybe I wouldn't have been as, I don't know. I wanted to say successful, but that's just the feeling that I have because this is my realm of reality. If I had maybe got out of high school, got married, had some kids, I was a housewife, maybe worked a part-time job or, you know, I don't know. Maybe I would have viewed myself as a success because that's what I wanted to do when I was, you know, five years old. That's what I thought I would do. I don't know. It's well, crazy find, to think about I find it. My, I find my success comes from within. Uh, when I feel comfortable within my own skin of who I am, uh, what I'm all about, I feel successful within, within myself. And the monetary part of that really doesn't make a difference. Oh, no, no, it's not about that with me. I'm broke as a joke. (laughs) (laughs) Definitely, that's not it. (laughs) I haven't haven't had a raise in seven years. Are you kidding me? No, it's definitely not about that. It's about that that comfort in my skin, that being able to walk into a room and talk to anybody and to approach anyone and to hold my head up high and just to really be comfortable with myself and not have regrets at night when I go to bed over my day. I really try not to review my whole life every night when I go to bed, but I try to as we talk about in the program in a step 10 to review our day to see where I was wrong and and uh, uh, to be prepared to make an amends for anything that I have done out of 
that I wasn't supposed to do. I'm okay with who I am today. And I think my creator that I believe in, the God that I believe in, I think is really good with me. And I think I'm going to be all right. Mm -hmm. And, and, you know, one of the things is, and and I didn't realize it, but when I first got sober, you know, I I come into the rooms and and I meet a bunch of people. And for the first time in my life, I didn't feel like I was getting punished. You know, it wasn't a punishment to be there. Although it's, for me, I was directed there by the law, but, um, you know, thank God for that. And I spent so many years punishing myself for the things that I had done that when I got to the rooms of Alcoholics Anonymous, I no longer felt like I was being punished for anything. I was finally understood, and, and that allowed me the freedom to become who I am. Well, that's an interesting concept that you weren't being punished because you came into a room where other people had done the same things that you were doing and had been through similar experiences as you, correct? Correct, correct. You know, for the first time, I'm able to look at everybody else on an equal level. And, you know, I'm right there with them. And and finally, I found a home. You know, not that I came from a bad home or anything like that. It was the bad choices that I made. And... You know, I didn't realize there is actually a life out. Well, it was like going into a courtroom if you had a court date and they pick six for your jury and I go in all tore down. I look at them and go, you're not my peers. (laughs) You are far too clean and shiny. This is not a jury of my peers. (laughs) I refuse to testify today. You don't have a goatee and tattoos. Come on. (laughs) This is, no, no, no. Why do I understand that feeling? (laughs) And... (laughs) I bet a lot of people do. But now when we walk into the rooms of recovery and we get a little bit of time, we can see that these are our peers. And again, it's the people from all different walks of life. The disease has no discrimination over who's going to show up there. Right. And, you know, it's great that we can look back. And I don't want to say find humor in it, but I look back at some of the things that I did and I have to laugh at myself. Because it just amazes me. I mean, you know, normal people uh, who are secretaries or something like that, they go to the doctor and they end up with carpal tunnel. Me, I ended up with carpet tunnel from, you know, digging through the carpet with a practical cane all the time. So, You're hysterical. You know, you, you got to find some kind of humor in, in, in the things that we've done in our past. That's what I'm talking about. They were not a jury of my peers. definitely not oh yeah we gotta find humor if i don't find humor in this stuff i'm just gonna sit and cry i'm gonna be so depressed i'm gonna go back out and use again so we gotta find some humor in this stuff uh paul thanks for sharing we've got lynn on the line from crystal river florida lynn welcome to sober in the city how are you doing fine good i'm great everything's good here We're, we're feeling groovy you know hey what do you think about the cost of addiction? I know you had a pretty low bottom. What did it cost you? Um, I don't really look at it financially because I never really knew what I wanted to be when I grew up because I never grew up. I grew up on alcohol. I didn't grow up until I got sober. So, um, and I also grew up in a household with a father who was um, very a lieutenant in the army. So responsibility always came first. So I was, during my addiction, I was pretty functional. I mean, I went to college. I got my college degree. I, I did all the things I was supposed to do, but then at night I was a closet drinker, and I spiraled very quick. 
And um, I lost everything all at one time. A house, business, fiance, um, and my soul. And when it took, when it started to take my soul, I knew that uh, death was next and I was going to a very bad place. And something had to turn around. And that's when I found sobriety, and that was just a little over two, um, a little over two years ago, October uh, two years ago. Um, so I don't look at it monetarily. There's really no way my drug of choice was alcohol, which is cheap. And of course, you know, being a girl, I can always find something to spend some money on, clothes or whatever. Um, but I um, really, I think it, it could cost me my soul. I could feel my soul. I could feel I was dying. And until I was almost at death's door, I couldn't turn my life around. And one, and it, it was in an instant that I, that I could stop. Any obsession was lifted. So what about the personal cost, though? What about the dignity? And, and, you know, you say about being a woman, how easy it is to get alcohol, how easy it is to spend money in other addictions, such as shopping. How did you get back that balance in your life, Lynn? Or have you? How did I get back that balance in my life? I I work on that every day. I still have to. Since I'm only two years sober, um, I have to be real careful with the addiction switching. Um, because, you know, you can get, I could get addicted to anything. Um, uh, sugar, shopping, you're, you know, you're right. So I have to work on that daily and I have to just keep a balance. And I keep myself in check every day. When I go to the store, do I need this? Because obsessive shopping could become a, a bad habit. I've seen it. Uh, it's just an everyday thing. I pray about it every morning. I pray about it every night. I look back through my day, just so happy that I'm comfortable in my own skin and that I did not die and lose my soul. And I'm so grateful for that, 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 that I have a life. I don't, I don't have a lot of money. I've never really had a lot of money because I raised my daughter on my own. So I'm just looking forward to the future. Yeah, and one day at a time. And one day at a time, we'll have a future, right? Exactly. And the blessings have been unreal. I just made a 10-year amend today. A 10-year amend? Uh, somebody that I needed to make an amend to, I made an amend to after 10 years. Wow. That's terrific. How good was that? And and it's a, uh, actually a, a family. My mom and his mother met when they were pregnant with us in the hospital. We all grew up. Our families were friends. And he he had his issues. I had my issues, and I knew I had to at least go back and make amends. And um, this morning I did it. That's terrific, Lynn. Good for you. Thank you for sharing that with us. We've got David on the line. David, where are you from? I'm uh, from Las Vegas. Oh, from Las Vegas. Awesome. Okay, David, you hear us sharing on the topic of um, what addictions have cost you. Do you want to share on that, please? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I'm. Kind of like the last caller, it's more of a, a physical and mental loss that it cost me. It, you know, it cost me my dignity, my respect for myself. You know, my, my word was no good for anybody, and I, I hated myself pretty much. You know, I think I was holding resentment against myself for the way I was being, and, you know, I, that I couldn't stop, you know, drinking. You know, it, it was kind of an emotional ride because I went through, you know, I was in and out of the program, and I went through, you know, losing money. I went through all that stuff over and over. And I would come back, I'd get sober, I'd get everything back again, and I'd get more. So I wasn't really, it wasn't really a big deal to me. I mean, it was like I was getting sober, but every time I got more back. So, I mean, what was a lot? You know, you know one day that I, 
I was sitting there the last time I got sober, <clears throat> and I thought, wow, what am I doing to my son? You know, he's 13 years old. Me and his mother are fighting. She won't let me see him. And, you know, what am I doing to him? He look at me, and I looked at myself in the mirror. I said, look at you. I mean, you're, you look terrible. You know, I'm in, in the career I'm in. I'm in the spotlight, and I'm talking to people, and people just don't trust me, and I don't like myself. And I had a lot of friends, about five friends, passed away last year. And I kind of had a lot of spiritual moments in there with that. And it really set me straight on, on myself and how I should carry myself and, you know, realize what I'm doing. I mean, I'm, I'm on a path of destruction. I'm going to die. It's just when I went to the last time I was in the hospital, I went, I had a five, seven alcohol level. Doctor says, oh I don't know God. how you're alive. Oh my God. I never heard of one that high. How long are you sober now, David? Uh, a year now. Well, congratulations to you. You know, the first year is the toughest. You're over the hump. Yeah, well, now. I, uh, yeah, no, every day's a hump. <laughs> I'm still, still climbing. You know, I got 24 hours at a time, but that's just you know, the that's just the lie we years. that's just the lie we tell the newcomers to keep you guys coming back. That's all. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But it is really hard the first year. You know, your emotions are all over the place. You're just getting sober, and you don't know what these feelings are, and they're coming at you from all different directions, and you have no idea how to regulate them or to deal with them or to start living life sober and how to uh, go through the holidays sober or how to go to a party or a picnic and you know all these different things that we were so used to drinking our way through. I remember my first Thanksgiving dinner I went to cook. The first thing I did was just about slice a finger off so I can get out of cooking the dinner. I think it was I think it was one of those things in the back of my mind that I didn't really mean to do it, but I did. I don't know. I don't know. And my Thanksgiving, the last one that I had made while I was still messed up, I mean, whew, I made a huge feast and, and we had uh, uh, all kinds of food and I cooked for three days and everybody showed up and I was passed out face down on my bed with uh, foils in my hair. I had somebody come over and color my hair because that needed to be done right before Thanksgiving dinner, you know? <laughs> But we had a great Thanksgiving and a ton of food, but then I sit down to do something and I couldn't even function. I didn't know how to function sober. So that first year is very critical. Okay, so in your first year, you're going through all these changes and all these emotions. How have you felt about that roller coaster ride? Can you identify with that feeling of trying to learn everything over your first year? Oh, oh, tentatively I can. I mean, just learning how to talk on the phone even, you know, sober and just concerned about how my words are coming out. I mean, just it's a whole mental and physical thing that you think about. I mean, I, I'd like, I was just getting emotional. It's, it is a very big roller coaster. It's up and down, up and down. And it's, it's like learning to live all over again. You know, and you have physical processes going on in your body also. I mean, your brain is starting to heal after about three months of being sober, your brain starts to heal. So we, we literally, when we use drugs and alcohol, even uh, tobacco, nicotine, and um, uh, caffeine, we create craters in our brain that can actually go so far as to have holes in our brain. So we're creating just like traumatic brain injuries as if we had been shot and there's a piece of our brain missing and we have to learn how to function again. I mean, some people don't always get it all back. I go to meetings with a few guys that have done just a few too many acid trips, man, and they're just not all there. You know what I'm talking about? Have you felt over this past year your healing where you have started to be able to put sentences together, where you can put thoughts together and stream them out of your mouth? Oh, most definitely. 
most definitely. And, and it's why I'm, I'm starting to remember things better. That was one big thing. I couldn't remember anything. It's mm-hmm. like I lost a period of time. And you, yeah, exactly. You know, speaking sentences and, and talking to the public and everything is, it's amazing the clearness as you go through like a daily basis, your head gets clearer and clearer and the cloudiness goes away. You know, the sunlight comes through and your thought process and everything is much better. But, you know, and like you said, you know, other people, the nicotine, everything, I picked up an addiction of bowling is where I went to. <laughs> That's good. <laughs> I mean, That's good. That won't hurt you then. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but it's funny because we have to replace it with something. Right. You know what I mean? We have replace our addiction with something else well at least you've replaced it with something that's positive you're getting out of the house you're getting a little exercise you're going to be around other people you're working on hand-eye coordination i think those are all good healing things don't don't beat yourself up over that (laughs) go bowling and like our conversation right now you know i'm worried i'm speaking okay and that's part of my process of of coming back to a person again yeah, no, absolutely. You're doing great. And I remembered about two, three years, and I could tell you exactly the meeting that I was in and where I was sitting. I'm not sure what I was sharing on, but I took actually three thoughts. And I took three thoughts, and then I kind of talked about them together. I kind of brought it all together in a synopsis. And after I shared, I kind of sat back and I thought, oh my God, my brain's starting to function. That was really big for me. It was really an important day for me because I knew that that was missing. I had thoughts in my head and things in my head made sense, but I knew when they came out of my mouth, I wasn't getting there. I wasn't able, I lost that piece of the brain of where, where communication is formed. And I share about this on the shows all the time. I remember a period, I don't know if it was three, five days or, or how long it was because I was so cracked out, but I was responding to everybody that spoke to me in song lyrics and you hear about like Gabby Giffords and she's healing from the traumatic brain injury from when she was shot in the head. And they talked about at first she couldn't speak, but she could sing songs and she would remember lyrics using the piece of the brain that connects to music is a different spot in the brain. So I had damaged the piece with uh, verbal speech communication and the music center was still working for me. I mean, I had just shut it down. So those were definitely things that had to heal for me. An issue I'm having is my brain's coming back so clear. I've got so many thoughts rushing in at one time, I get lost. <laughs> a lot of journaling. <laughs> Do a lot of exactly. journaling. David, Lynn, <laughs> Paul, Bob, everybody, thank you so much for being here. Sober in the City will be right back. And unlike the dope man, we actually will be right back. The broken clock is a comfort. It helps me sleep tonight. Maybe you can't stop tomorrow From stealing all my time And I am here still waiting Though I still have my doubts I am damaged at best Like you've already figured out I'm falling apart I'm barely breathing with a broken heart that's still beating in the pain, there is healing in your name. I find meaning, so I'm holding on. I'm holding on. 
At Believe Treatment Center, we understand. We understand you are struggling. That's why our treatment nourishes mind, body, and spirit. We understand that recovery works differently for everyone. That's why we design individual treatment programs specifically for you. At Believe Treatment Center, we understand that it's not easy. That's why we offer a comprehensive scope of services, including nutrition, massage, chiropractic, and aftercare for you and even for your family. Believe Treatment Center is a 12-step friendly, state-of-the-art facility located in gorgeous Palm Beach County, Florida. We are experts in all types of addiction and recovery, and we are proud sponsors of Sober in the City. To find out more about our program and how your insurance may cover your treatment, call us today at 1-855-874-2354. That's 855-874-2354. 1-855-874-2354. Or visit BelieveTreatmentCenter.com. Believe Treatment Center. We understand. Psst, it's me, your bathroom medicine cabinet. I see you naked, know how often you floss, and watch you pluck unsightly hairs. I can keep a secret, but you need to know. Your kids have been taking your prescriptions to get high. I couldn't keep it quiet, because prescription drug abuse now causes more deaths than cocaine and heroin ODs combined. So please, mind your meds. For tips on safeguarding your meds and your family, Visit the partnership at drugfree.org. My son Aiden has asthma. Secondhand smoke has triggered his asthma so badly, he ended up in the emergency room and spent multiple nights in intensive care. Now he's on a whole bunch of medications. My tip to you is, don't be shy about telling people not to smoke around your kids. Half of U.S. kids are exposed to secondhand smoke. If you or someone you know wants help, call 1-800-QUIT-NOW. A message from the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services and CDC.